Okay, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Uh, so, so I want to talk about something that that is is I think I hope is 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 deep. I, for me, it's deep. I, I I don't know if I'm even going to be able to uh, to say it over clearly. So I kind of apologize in advance, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try anyway. Uh, let me just preface it by, by saying that um, I've been privileged, privileged lately to really be um, kind of focusing in on, on Reb Shlomo Karlbach's uh, Torahs uh, um, and uh, a, a lot of the, the, the writings and um, just in terms of my own personal kind of spiritual journey and all the rest he was really my first exposure to, to Torah and certainly to very deep Torah when I was I guess starting at 14 and um, then over the years you know I, I never sort of left learning as Torahs but, but I was able to, to start learning um, you know from, from other sources and other great and holy masters and things like that and to get more of a background and now to at this stage in my life you know years later to come back to those Torahs of Reb Shlomo's and to look at them you know, in, 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 in a form that's going to be published, uh, God willing, soon, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at, at just how unbelievably deep and fantastic they are, and, and, uh, and, and, and revolutionary, absolutely revolutionary, and, and life-changing and soul-changing, and there is good, or not that it's a contest, it's not a contest, but in terms of what this generation needs, it's as good or better by far than anything else that's out there in terms of the clarity and the depth of what he is able to explain and reveal. It's, it's awesome, actually. It's awesome. And so I have such a renewed appreciation of, of, of his greatness, his, his Torah greatness, and so I just want to say that. So, so the reason why I'm bringing that up is because, you know, imagine... Is, is that I got a, a little bit of an insight into, and I'm, I don't want to make a big deal out of this, it's maybe a small point, but I just want to say it anyway. I got a, a little bit of an insight into kind of his, uh, Reb Shlomo's approach, and that's going to sort of be the gateway into this, this, this talk, trying to just try to explain it, at least to the extent that I understand it, or begin anyway. So, so let me just say as a, as a preface that... Um, Imagine you grow up in, uh, in a house and all the walls in the house are, are salmon colored, you know, like an odd color, you know, or a unique color, I should say. You wouldn't, and that's your whole life, you just, all walls are salmon colored, you know. You would think that's normal and you wouldn't begin to think that walls would be any other color, that that's what walls are, because that's all you know. So since, since, my, since my perspective has really been just hearing Rip Shlomo's Torahs, like, you know, my whole adult life, you know, I, it's kind of hard to dig a little bit deeper, because if, if that's all you know, then, then, then that's, that's what it is, you know? So anyway, coming back to it a little bit later on in life, I, I see that there's a, a theme that I want to focus in on right now. So here's the question, and these are my words, these are in his words, maybe he said this in another occasion, another time, I haven't seen it, but I want to phrase the question like this, which is, whose world are you living in? Are you living in your own world, or are you living in God's world? And there's a very, very big difference. There's a very, very big difference. Because you can be living in your own world, and you can be keeping Torah and mitzvahs, and you can believe in Hashem, and you can even believe that the Torah is from heaven, and all of the rest. But you're still living in your own world. In other words, it's still, essentially, my life is still essentially about me. I'm the one, I'm the, I'm the center of the universe. And then there are certain things that I have to do. I have to eat, I have to drink, I have to sleep, I have to do mitzvahs, I have to believe in God. But what, but what is my world? What is, what is the focus, the grounding of my consciousness? It's me. I'm it. 
you know, the world is me and I'm the world, and it happens to be that. Part of that is that there's a God. And there's a God who even gave me a Torah and gave me instructions. And sometimes I even have to do it even if I don't want to do it. But that's still ultimately me living in my world. God is a guest in my world. But then there's an alternative. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a much more amazing and realer, by the way, there's a whole different life if you understand yourself as living in God's world. Oh my goodness, now, what? I live in God's world? You know, I once heard Rabbi Green say something. He said, you know, imagine you're kind of like walking down like a, a kind of like a, a winding road in the, in the mountains, right? And there's a flower, like a wild flower, by the side of the road. You know, why do you always have to be the person walking down the road? Why can't you see the world from the perspective of the flower planted by the side of the road? You know, it's a completely different perspective. It's like, one is like, you're a, you're a small part of the universe. You're a beautiful part of the universe. You're an important part of the universe. But you're a small part of the universe. And, 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 and the focus of everything that's going on doesn't always have to be yourself. You don't always have to be viewing the world and your life through the perspective of your own immediate needs all of the time. But I, I think we're still, I know that I'm still not expressing myself and I'm not communicating. And, and I'm, I'm not pretending to be expressing what Rav Shlomo said yet. I'm still working through my, my understanding of it and trying to communicate that. What does it mean to live in God's world? To live in God's world is to understand that, first of all, that everything is good. Another thing is that you're absolutely protected. Because even if it has shalom a million times, we should all live to 120 in health and goodness and life and all the rest. But even if has shalom, a person leaves their body prematurely, or even at the proper time, whatever it is, they're still with God and it's still good. In fact, it's better. On some, on, uh, in some ways. In some ways. You know? I mean, we have to do our work in this world first. But in other words, there's no existential threat that's ever really being directed against you. Existential threat meaning that you are going to disappear. You aren't going to disappear. So opening yourself up to the fact that I live in God's world, I'm not going to disappear, I'm being protected, and I get to participate in this awesome, awesome, awesome world. So then what's my job? My job is, well, what's being sent to me? What am I pursuing? And every single moment then, it's like, you know, every single moment, Every single moment, there's something going on of great significance. See, one of the awesome things about Torah is how absolutely empowering it is. And without going to a very whole long thing, the way that we understand, you see, God created the entire world and He created all the peoples of the world. All of the peoples of the world are God's children. Jewish, non-Jewish, we're all God's children. However, we understand that God gave the Jewish people the Torah at Mount Sinai. The Jewish people have 613 commandments to keep. And we have a very specific role in terms of the world. It's not to diminish any other people's role in the world. Everyone's got a great role. But we have a very, very specific, very important role in this world. And the way I heard it explained, the way Rabbi Tatz put it, is very moving to me is, is that, is that the job of the nations of the world is to build up the world. And the job of the Jewish people is to connect heaven and earth. In other words, we're, that's why we're such a small people. It's a very fine, specific job. We have to take the mountaintops, so to speak, and we have to connect heaven and earth. 
Very, very important job. Very, very important job. And by the way, by us, anyone who chooses to become Jewish, if they go through the normal halachic Torah order of doing it, they can opt to be part of that mission and to be part of that job. It's not a, an exclusive club. It is exclusive, but, but one can join. If one, if one wants to, to, be part of that, to be part of that mission. And again, I don't want to diminish the role of the nations of the world. In terms of building this world, that's a very, it's a very great thing, and you can do that with holiness as well. But this idea of connecting heaven and earth, this specific, specific thing, this is, this is a uniquely Jewish role that God has given us. Okay. So why am I going into this now? So the idea is how empowering Torah is. You see, there is no time in our lives when something important isn't going on. To quote Rabbi Green again, the way he said it one time is, is that at every single moment, God is giving us 100% of His goodness. Every single moment. The question is, do we have vessels to receive it? What's coming down? That's, a, that's another question. But every single moment, there's something very significant going on. And even if a person is alone by themselves, they have the capacity to affect the entire universe by connecting with God at that moment and doing mitzvahs at that moment. To put a coin in a tzedakah box when you're all alone, in a charity box when you're all alone, can affect heaven and earth in a massive way. To say a prayer when you're all alone can change the entire destiny of the world. You know, Rip Shlomo used to say something. always struck me. He said, who knows whose prayer is going to bring the Mashiach? And he would say, it could be someone who's rolling in the gutter, like a, like a homeless person rolling in the gutter. At that moment, it could be his prayer. Who knows whose prayer it's going to be? That final, final moment. Who knows? The Baal Shem Tov... By the way, I just... I don't want this to get lost in, in, in the various teachings that I'm going to give you right now. I want to tell you a very important Torah from the Baal Shem Tov. But before I do that, I just want to remind you what we're discussing. We're discussing what this idea is of living in God's world. You see, Rav Shlomo pointed out something very interesting. Because... What does it mean? I'm living in my world. I'm living in God's world. If I'm keeping the Torah and everything like that, is I don't. I still don't understand the difference. You might still not understand the difference of what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about a a a a, a massive a massive difference in terms of in terms of consciousness. Let me give you a small example. So so again, this is Reb Shlomo's example. He says, imagine. Someone is collecting money. Someone needs some money. So he goes up to one person and someone gives him a dollar and another person gives him a dollar. But one person who gave him a dollar, he just gave him a dollar. The other person who gave him a dollar gave him his last dollar. So from the outside, it looks like the same act. But from the inside, it's all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. So it could be this person's putting on tefillin, this person's putting on tefillin. So, so what's the difference? This person's living in his own world, this person's living in God's world. It's a very, very big difference. So again, so let's, let me tell you what the Baal Shem Tov says. So there's a very important uh, pasuk, uh, a verse from, from, from Tehillim, the book of Psalms. It says, Shaviti Hashem Kineget Hamid. So, uh, it's, uh, it's up there, right there on the ark. It's in a lot of shuls. It's a very major, major, major verse. Basically, it means that, and it's using the name of Hashem, the Yudke Vavke, which we know is Midas Rachamim, which is really talking about God's infinity and, and compassion as well. So, so that the name of Hashem should be before me at all times. So, what's very interesting about this passage, the... Uh, Baal Shem Tov points out, is this word shiviti, well, it, 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 it has the word shav in it, which means equal. 
Meaning to say that Hashem should be equally before me at all times. Alright, now, this is going to be a gate that we're going to be able to understand more deeply what I'm talking about. You see, what does that mean that Hashem should be equally before me at all times? That means that when I'm standing in shul on Yom Kippur, by Ne'ilah, by the holiest part of Yom Kippur, or if I'm standing on line at Ralph's, that Hashem is equally before me in both of those situations. If I'm in Las Vegas, or if I'm walking in Svat, that Hashem should be equally before me in every situation. Ah, so now this is getting much more into the idea of what it means to live in God's world. That you're living with the consciousness, the awareness that you're in God's presence, surrounded by God. And as such, any job that you're given by the king is of equal importance. Or at the least, super significant. I see, if I'm living in my own world, then when I'm standing in Shul and Yom Kippur, if I'm standing in line at Ralph's, give me a break. I mean, really. Let's talk reality here. This is not, I'm not in shul, I'm in a supermarket. You know, no one's got a prayer book in front of me. I've got like, you know, a six pack of Pepsi. Like, let's, let's, let's be a little bit honest here, right? But, but it's not the case. Because who made Ralph's? And who made me? And who made the Pepsi? And who's keeping me alive? And who's keeping the Pepsi from turning into a lion, biting off my head? I mean, you know, I mean, it's like, really? You know, God can do anything at any moment. You know, I, I always think of this story, but it's can't not say it. When I first started going to Minyan, it was a very small little Minyan, and I'm a lady, so I used to get the Lady Aliyah every time. I was so happy I'm getting the Lady Aliyah every time. Then I, uh, I realized I'm the only lady. Of course I'm getting that, bless you, of course I'm getting up, called up to the Torah for that, for, the, for that particular spot. And that day that I thought, I'm the only one, there happened to be another lady there. And he got the Aliyah. He got called up instead of me. And I said to myself, you know something? Just because you get something every single day, doesn't make it any less of a gift. But this is one of the, this is one of the challenges of being a human being is, and, and of the human condition, to be able to receive something so massive and so wonderful all the time, and not to take it for granted. It's almost impossible. Or to at least realize the enormity of the gift. It's almost impossible. You know, there are a lot of people who make this comment, and I'm sure I've done it in the past myself, where people go, the Jews in the desert, I don't understand, bread is coming down from heaven, and, and water is coming out of a rock. How could they be questioning God? How could they be complaining? But you know something? If water came out of the rock every single day, it would start to look a lot like a faucet, wouldn't it? And if bread came out of the sky every single day, the, bread would look like a, the, 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 the sky would look on some level like a bread factory. So why shouldn't bread come out of the sky? Is it strange that bread comes out of a bread factory? Is it strange that water comes out of a faucet? So the faucet's a rock. <laughs> so the bread factory's the sky. After a few days, or a few years, how about 40 years? You know, that's normal. Anything can become normal. I'll give you a, a horrific example of this. I'm sorry to juxtapose this horror show that I'm about to tell you with something so holy as the miracles in the desert. But I saw a, doc a documentary about Auschwitz. It was in the movie Shoah. The documentary show, I should say. And they talked to a farmer. They actually talked to the farmer. Well, I don't know how many farmers there were, but, but one of the farmers anyway, who had the land next to Auschwitz death camp. All right? Because at a certain point, there's got to be a fence, and real life, quote-unquote, has got to start again, right? At a certain point. So they talked to the guy at that point. 
Who's the guy who was on the other side of the fence? The Polish farmer on the other side of the fence of the death camp who's farming. Right? Because life goes on. So they said to him, didn't you hear the screams? And he goes, oh yeah, I heard the screams. He said to him, well, well, how did you go on? He said, you get used to it. Right? So people can get used to anything. This is one of our strengths and one of our weaknesses. Because it's one of our strengths in that it gives us the ability to endure adversity in our own lives. That's one of the strengths. One of the weaknesses is that it desensitizes us to the fact that awesome, awesome, awesome things are going on all of the time. All of the time. So again, we have to We're trying to understand what does it mean to live in God's world as opposed to what does it mean to live in my own world. So, you know, I want to give you another example. came to me one time. Which is that, you know, a lot of us, probably all of us, we all have needs. And a lot of us are praying for very specific needs. We need a job. We need health. We need a marriage partner. We need kids. So the big categories, anyway. So, we have specific needs, and then we have our general needs as well. And we, we get so focused on our specific needs. Again, there's nothing wrong with that, because they're real needs, and Hashem should bless us with them soon, God willing. But at the same time, we lose track of everything else that's going on. And we, and we, and we, we say to ourselves, my, my, my prayer has not been answered. Or, or, like I like to say, it's not... Some people say, no, God did answer your prayer. He just said no. But what I like to say is, God answered your prayer. He just said, not yet. (laughs) Not yet is is very different. Not yet. Not yet. Anyway, the reality is that our prayers are being answered constantly. Constantly. And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I need to go to the supermarket to uh, to buy some milk. Okay? So... I drive to the supermarket. Do you know what? God just answered my prayer. But you know what? I didn't pray that prayer. (laughs) In other words, I walked down the aisle. I found the milk. God just answered another prayer. God is answering our prayers all the time. It's just we're not praying those prayers. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nothing Nothing that happens where God grants us, where God grants us success in, the, in any aspect of our lives. Can we, can we take anything for granted? Anything. You know, I, I'll tell you something. I, I, I left the, the house early. Um, everyone was sleeping. And people had been up late the previous night. And it just, it was really good that they're sleeping. They have to sleep. But I had to, to get to Minion. So I, I, I leave the house very early. And I close the door. And then all of a sudden I went, oh no, I don't have my keys. I thought, oh, I can't believe it. I can't drive to, to where I need to go. And now I can't get back into the house. And I'm going to have to wake everybody up. And this is not good. This is not good can't believe I left the house without my keys. I checked my pocket again. My keys. I have my keys. And then I thought, every day I leave the house without my, with, with my keys, that's an answered prayer. I just didn't pray it. That's a gift. And you know, if you want to make lists like this, you'll spend the rest of your life making lists of all the things that God is giving us every single second that we're not even aware of. That we don't even thank Him for. That we don't realize that it could be otherwise. So the trick, one of the tricks, one of the tricks is to pray for absolutely everything. And you know, Rebbe Nachman was very, very strong on this. And he strongly criticized Reb Nossin, who wrote this down, his top, his top man, that Reb Nossin asked for something and Rebbe Nachman, it's something, I don't even remember what it was, like a button, something small. And Rebbe Nachman criticized him strongly that he didn't pray for it first. 
And I think one of the one of the things that we can get from that, and one of the the reason why I'm saying it is because is because one of the biggest challenges in our life is that we we feel so isolated and we feel so alone. And one of the reasons why we feel so isolated and we feel so alone is that we're not aware of how constantly we're interacting with a God who loves us so much and who's giving us so much at every single moment. And if we open up our minds and we open up our hearts and we realize, I just left my house with my keys. Thank you, God. And I'm not, you know, you have to understand something. If you think I'm being spiritual right now, I am not being spiritual. You know, people misunderstand spirituality. I'm not being like, wow, you know, like, okay, that's, okay, you left your house with your keys, Dave. All right, let's have a party, man. You know? If you think that that's the level that I'm talking right now, then you're missing everything that I'm saying. You're missing everything that I'm saying. You see, nothing has to be the way it is. That's the point. Nothing has to be the way it is. If anything is the way it is, then that's Hashem voicing His will and expressing His will. And when we look at the totality of our lives, the fact that there's even a world, the fact that we're even alive in the world, and we take nothing for granted, and we take ten steps back and look at the entirety of it, and the fact that we have a soul with an imprint and an identity that doesn't disappear after death, that we remain ourselves even after we leave this world. And the levels of revelation only get higher and higher and higher and higher. That that's our destiny. Just the fact that we exist right now, that that's our destiny. Then, wow. Holy smokes, that's, wow, yeah, all right, thank you, yes, yes to that. So when one lives in God's world, one is aware that every single thing can be anything else. Now you you have to understand, this is one of the Deep secrets to understand how to really learn the Torah in depth. Because, you see, every word is on purpose, and every letter is on purpose. And, you know, we talk about it every once in a while, this concept of negative space. And I don't mean negative in the form of um, uh, pessimistic or unhappy. Negative space is a more technical term, meaning the area surrounding an object. You have the object itself, and the negative space is the area surrounding the object. That's just a technical term. So you have to understand that every letter in the Torah, it starts like the Medrash discusses this concept. They don't use the term negative space, but this is what they mean. They, they start it off, they say, why does the Torah start with the letter Bayes? And then they tell you, well, it starts with the letter Bez because Bez means for, for blessing, you know, for bracha. And then they tell you why it's not an Aleph, why it's not a Gimel, why it's not a... And it goes through all the letters, why it's not all these letters, why it's Bez. So when you learn the Torah and you realize, wow, every word could be any of a thousand or a million words. And it's not a thousand, a million of those words, it's that word. Oh my goodness. Every word could be spelled any different way. A variety of any different way. But God picked those letters to spell that word. It could be anything else. Then when you look at the Torah like that, you're seeing not just the word and not just the letter, you're seeing all the things that it's not. So I'm talking about going through life and realizing every single moment, it's not just what it is. Every single moment is also all the things that it could be and it isn't. And thank God for that. So now when you meet someone at, at the supermarket, 
I mean, you can blow your mind for a million years. God sent you to me in aisle five? <laughs> really, you can blow your mind. You can blow your mind from this end of the world to the other. Just holy smokes. Because believe me, so you say, oh, well, he lives in the neighborhood and whatever it is, and there's a million explanations why you should have run into that person. There's a million reasons why it's not phenomenal at all. At all. And yet, and yet they didn't have to go to Ralph's that day, or they could have gone five minutes earlier. And that would still make perfect sense to you too, wouldn't it? So now, I want to go into a couple, one, one Pasuk in particular. So we're in Parshas Akev, which means the heel. Okay? So, so let me just, that's a pretty long introduction for, to get, I want to get now into something more specific that Reb Shlomo says. This is all me trying to work through these concepts. Okay? But now, let me get into Reb Shlomo right now. Okay. So Reb Shlomo says the following thing. You see, Ekev means the heel. And the Parsha begins with the idea that, that, if you listen, that if you listen to Hashem, and it uses the word the heel, and Rashi famously says, why is it talking about the heel? Because Rashi, Rashi says that Hashem is talking about, if you listen to some, not just Hashem in general, of course do that, but in a very specific area of your life, the mitzvahs that people normally step on, trample on. Don't take seriously. If you take those things seriously, and by the way, taking something seriously, a lot of people, especially when they become religious, or try to be religious, they don't understand what it means to take something seriously. Taking something seriously doesn't mean to be serious. (laughs) Taking something seriously doesn't mean that, okay, now... L'shem Shemayim, for the sake of heaven, I'm going to be a bummer at all times to all people. <laughs> Is that what it means? In fact, there's a quote um, from Oscar Wilde, of all people, who says that life is way too important to take seriously. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. You have to be besimcha, you have to be lighthearted, you have to be happy, you have to flow, you have to be open, you have to be loose. But at the same time, you understand that something very major and serious is going on that you have to pay attention to. And paradoxically, perhaps, the best way to take advantage of these situations is by being open and loose and everything like that, and being in a good mood and everything like that. That actually allows you to leverage these moments much better. You know, it doesn't mean that you're not focused, though. See, a lot of people, it's like... um, Okay, I'm focusing, the smile is disappearing from my face, my heart is closing, I am now officially a bummer. The the transformation has occurred. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. I'm focusing, but I'm remaining light. That doesn't mean what we call in Torah, kalos rosh. That doesn't mean lightheadedness. It's a light touch. Well, it's more like a laser. You know? You're focused, but it's like you're cool. You know? So, um, so anyway. So these, Rashi says, these mitzvahs that you trample on, right? If you take those, you know, if you, if you do those, then it's going to open up a lot of gates of blessing for you. Okay. That's the Rashi on the beginning of the, on the Parsha. So Reb Shlomo wants to give a slightly different understanding of, of, uh, of what, it, what it means, these mitzvahs that you trample on, okay? This idea of the heel, of akev, that's the heel of your foot. By the way, you should know that um, anatomically, the heel of your foot is the least sensitive part of your body. And there are a lot of amazing Torahs about the word akev and how it, it's, it's, it's like a whole field in itself. Um... And uh, I'll just give you one, just because I really like it. And you can try this at home. It's really kind of fun to do. When you walk from one room to the other, okay, you can just stand by the end of your room and 
walk through an entranceway, the last part of your body physically to leave the room is your heel. I don't know if you can imagine it, but if you do it, you'll see the very last part of your body that leaves the room before you go into the other room is the heel. Now, we have a concept, we call it ikhve de meshiche, the heel of Mashiach, meaning that the, the last days before the world transforms and becomes perfected, they call it the heel, the heel of the Messiah, because it's the last part of this existence of this dimension before it gets transformed to the next one, before you go to the next room, so to speak. So, so the heel, and then our generation, the last generation, is also likened unto the heel, because spiritually speaking, we're the least sensitive, we're the furthest from the head. Okay, and we have this concept of Eurydice Hedoros, it's called, where it sounds like a bit of a bummer, but the, the, the generations, as you get further away from Mount Sinai, kind of go down spiritually. But they go up in another way, because they get closer to the perfection of the world. And also, if you continue to do great things, even if you know less or feel less than previous generations... It's actually a greater mitzvah. So there's sort of two sides to the same coin. We're a little further removed from the light, but at the same time, we are generating more light. So it's, it's kind of a balance. Um, okay. So let's get... I, I just... Uh, wanna, wanna, yeah, zero back in on, on Reb Shlomo. So, so the way Reb Shlomo understands this idea of the, the heel and trampling the mitzvah, so to speak. And now we get back to the original thing, but now we're going to really do it Reb Shlomo's way. What does it mean to live in God's world? And again, those are my words, but this is, this is kind of what he's talking about. He says, you see, there are times when you're commanded to do certain things, and there are times when you're not commanded to do certain things. In other words, we have this concept, which is not really a Torah concept, by the way, I'm sorry to tell you, which is called free time. (laughs) We don't really have free time. We have time where we can rest and relax in order to do more. But that's purpose-directed relaxation. In other words, you might write like the one who's giving the dollar or the one who's giving the last dollar. It may look the same on the outside, and you may even experience it the same. I'll tell you, you want to hear one of the greatest prayers, in my opinion, that you can say? Right before you go to sleep, you're lying in bed with your head on your pillow, your eyes are closed, you say the following, Please, God, may you bless me with sleep, a good night's sleep, so that I should have strength tomorrow to do your work. It's one of the best prayers you can say. You know why? Because in that moment, you transform your whole night's sleep, eight, eight, eight hours, say, from to a mitzvah from as opposed to just checking out. <laughs> right? That whole night's sleep becomes one long mitzvah. And when's the last time you did eight continual hours of a mitzvah? <laughs> it's pretty good. It's a pretty good deal for like a for a fifteen second prayer, right? And, and it also is a consciousness-transforming thing, because you don't retreat back into your own world. Because there's a moment where it's sort of like, ah, uh, long day. Right? You're closing up your business in your world at the end of the day. As opposed to, God, I'm in your world, I'm staying in your world, I'm just uh, recharging my battery in your world to continue in your world. A very, very big difference. Very big difference. Okay. So let's get back. We still haven't said Rav Shlomo's idea yet. So, he says, you see, a big difference in, in, in how one understands who they are, what they are, what the purpose of life is, is what are you doing when you're not being commanded to do something? How are you using that time? So if I understand that I'm standing before God, if I understand, like we said in the name of the Baal Shem Tov, you know, Shaviti Hashem, that Hashem is before me at all times, then I'm using every single moment. 
So now listen to this. This is an Ishbitzer Torah from, that Reb Shlomo brings down. This is in, in, from uh, the Garden of Eden. Okay? This is uh, chapter 3, verse 15. This is the middle of the verse. Okay? This is the, the, one of the ways that Hashem curses the snake. And it says that the, um, that, that, that the human being is going to strike your head. He's talking to the snake. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the human being will strike your head and you will bite his heel. So the snake is going to get his head knocked in, but he's going to bite you in the heel. So, so, so Reb Shlomo says in the name of the Ishbitzer the following thing. That he's not, the snake is not going to be able to get you in the head. Meaning to say, the big things, like, like if you hear a voice in your head, rob a 7-Eleven. Most of us are going to be able to resist that temptation. <laughs> no, seriously, guns are readily available. You can get a gun, take some spray paint, you'll spray the camera, right, on the wall, like you've seen in a hundred movies. <laughs> You're in, you out. It's easy. Most of us can resist that, that temptation. And the snake doesn't even bother. Because how many times have you ever had that thought, right? Because the snake doesn't even bother trying to get you to rob a 7-Eleven, okay? Ah, but what does he do? He bites you in the heel. In other words, what does that mean? That those periods in your life, the quote-unquote free time in your life, that's where the snake gets you. The snake transforms your consciousness to tell you that, that, that those moments belong to you, that those moments you're not standing before Hashem, that you live in your own world, you don't live in God's world. That's where the snake gets the person. Those moments where you're spiritually insensitive, that's where the snake is coming in and gets you. Very, and by, by the way, everything that I just said was based on that. All that whole long preamble, that, that was all based on that. In retrospect, I probably should have began with that. <laughs> but anyway, such is life. <laughs> One day maybe someone will edit this talk. I'm giving you instructions to begin the talk with that. <laughs> so, that's what it is. That's what it is. And again, let me end with the way I began. Are you living in your own world or are you living in God's world? Are you living in your own world or are you living in God's world? And the fact that you can live in your own world and still do mitzvahs and still believe in God and still believe the Torah is from heaven, but you're living in your own world. Or you can be living in God's world and it's just, man, it's just every, everything is everything is amazing. You, you live on the floor of a Vegas casino. You know, every person, right? Why did Reb Shlomo hug everybody? Because he recognized there's a piece of God in every single person. I got it. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> right? <laughs> He's running here, he's running there, everything is a light, everything is a flashing light. Right? And, and that is actually the reality. That's the crazy thing. The craziest thing is that the craziest thing is the reality. That's the crazy thing. That's the crazy thing. People hear that and they go, that's crazy. But what they don't get is, because they haven't thought it through, they haven't thought through the implications of the infinity and the oneness of God. They haven't thought them through. But if you think through the implications of the goodness of God, of the infinity of God, of the oneness of God, if you think that through, you realize, oh my goodness, this is the reality. 
and that this isn't spiritual at all. This is actually what's happening. And then you have to integrate it. Because you can become a basket case if you, <laughs> if you don't properly integrate what I'm saying to you. This is a blast of light. You know, you can just become like immobilized. I'll tell you something. I don't learn Kabbalah. I don't know any Kabbalah, anything else. I've heard things in the name of Kabbalah and I, I'll quote them. The difference between Hasidus and Kabbalah, I love Hasidus. Hasidus I learn. Kabbalah I don't know anything about. So what's the difference between Hasidus and Kabbalah? So, so I, I, I read uh, from Rabbi Ari Kaplan um, the following. He said that Kabbalah takes a person up to God. Right? And then Hasidus takes God down to man. Hasidus takes God down to man. Right? The overlap between the, the, te- the teachings in Hasidus and Kabbalah is almost 100%, by the way. A massive overlap. But the emphasis and the direction of it is very, very different. It's very, very different. Right? Even though Hasidus consists mostly of Kabbalah, nonetheless, it's very, very different. Hasidus is bringing Hashem down to men. So, so anyway, I was learning something in... I'll say it again. Kabbalah brings man up to God. Hasidus brings God down to man. Okay? But if you, if, you, if you ask yourself, well, what is Hasidus exactly? It's basically the Baal Shem Tov explaining the Zohar and the Ari. So, so it's, it's if you look at the ingredients of Hasidus, it's basically the Zohar and the Ari, which is Kabbalah. But it becomes very different when it becomes explained through the Masters. Because they explain it to us. They make it real. It's not, it's, it's not the concepts and the abstractions. Okay. So anyway. The point is this. One has to integrate these ideas in a real way. And I'll just tell you a true story from my own life, just, uh, just to end with. I was listening to a series of tapes, which were really sort of Kabbalistic, on the, on the Aleph Beit, right? The, uh, the Hebrew alphabet. And I was walking with the... Uh, with uh, the headphones on, and I was listening, I was on the letter Aleph, which is one of the deepest letters, by the way, but it's just, I'm just saying, it was the beginning of the series, right? And I walked right into the street, and I almost got hit by a car. And at that point, I said, I'm not learning any Kabbalah. (laughs) Because my brain can't hold it. My brain can't hold it. And I'm just going to like, I'm going to like short circuit my brain. I can't do it. Hasidus, yeah, for sure, Hasidus. You know? So, so, so anyway, maybe one day I'll try to learn some Kabbalah, but I'm in no hurry. Um, but what I'm trying to say is, is that the reality of what we're experiencing every single day is enough to blow every single person away. I saw, it says, I'm pretty sure it was in the Gomorrah, but maybe it was another safer. It said that the reason why we don't see angels with our own eyes is because it would dement us. But do you think that means that they're not there? It would dement us. That's the only reason why it happens. I'll tell you one last thing, which is, I saw Rabbi Kaplan said it. We think the central nervous system, the central nervous system is is the, basically the spinal cord going down from the brain, connecting it to the body. It allows the, the brain to send messages to the rest of our body. That's basically what the central nervous system is, okay? So it's the, it's the, it's the software, if you will, that runs the body, okay? So you think that basically what it does is it's, a, it's allowing you to absorb everything that's going around you. Like, like, for instance, there's a wall coming up. Stop walking, otherwise you're going to walk into the wall. So that would be like one of the functions of the central nervous system, right? 
It's taking information from the outside world, sending it into your brain, you're processing it, all the rest. Okay. He says, one of the main reasons why, the, one of the main functions of the central nervous system is to block information from coming in. Did you hear that? To block information from coming in. Can you imagine if you have a vivid recollection of every single face that you saw on the New York subway every single day you went to work and came home? The license plate of every single car is in front of you at all times when you're driving to work around here? You'd go mad. You'd go mad. So God blocks information from us. So the less deep, less learned, less truth-seeking person will say, well, this blocked information doesn't exist. But can I tell you something? Do you know the birth, do you know the day Leonardo da Vinci died? Do you know? Do you know the calendar day? I don't either. Does that mean that he didn't die? I'm not talking metaphorically. Yes, he lives on in his paintings. He's dead. (laughs) What day did he die? I'll bet you anything it's in a history book. I don't know it. Does that mean that he didn't die? He's dead. So because I don't know it, it means it doesn't exist? So people think that because... And they, you know, they, they haven't learned these things, so they don't know, and they don't think about these things, so they don't know. That because... I don't, because my central nervous system, basically God designed me in a particular way so that I can function as a human being and a normal person in this world, that God shelters me from certain information, from being overwhelmed so that I can do my job, that therefore those things don't exist. Now that doesn't mean that you can make up anything under the sun and say, well, it exists, but you're being sheltered from it. You see, we're really surrounded by polka-dotted elephants, you know, who all wear straw hats and walk with canes. And, you know, they're very cultured. They love opera. Well, I don't know about this. Well, that's because your central nervous system shields you from it. No, it doesn't. This is not licensed to make anything up. That's not, that's not, that's a great misuse of what I'm trying to say. But, but nonetheless, nonetheless, we have to recognize that there are dimensions beyond the one that we dwell in. And all of science, all of string theory, all of science has, has long pointed to this. Right? But the problem is, is that people don't think about what that means to me in terms of my real life. It just becomes just a source of science homework. And of course I'm not going to take. But, but science is totally on board with this concept. Okay, so Hashem should bless us. Let's just boil it down to one sentence. Appreciate everything that is and isn't.